Yaroslav Pelikan, who was one of the major theologians of the last uh, half century, uh, and also came up through the Missouri Synod and, and went to our alma mater, uh, once made note of the differences in the world, how we have many different religions. People oftentimes uh, develop their own gods, and in the god of our nation and world, the philosophy often takes that spot. And he made the comment once that never in the history of the world will there ever be anyone who orchestrates and writes a B minor mass for Socrates. Because certainly there is no one in the history of this world that is quite like our God. The magnificence of the Lord who comes here to be a living God for us so that we can have life pulls our hearts and our lives and our minds into a desire for worship. So that there are actually art pieces that have gone out past the origins of their own culture into the rest of the world. Where you have orchestras around the world who, who have a different concept of music, but when they hear Bach's B minor mass strike up, they know beauty when they hear it. What kind of God is it that would draw us to create such things in worship? So there will never be anyone who writes a B minor Mass for Socrates. But there have been plenty who have done that for Jesus Christ. Because we have a God who when we encounter Him and He does such magnificent things in our lives, plants in us a desire of worship. This whole sermon series, we've looked at the early church and the way that they formed and how they began right away. And we notice that there is a theme of devotion that came up through. And aspects of that devotion, one of them is worship. They saw a desire to immediately gather together and to eat the bread and body of Christ. They came together and desired koinonia, community. They also desired to worship the Lord that had come to them. Now I, as a pastor, know, as does Marcus, that any time that we go to talk about worship, it's like we're asking for trouble. Worship is the one thing that within a church people can get rather angsty about. But there was a saying in seminary that as long as you don't mess with their worship, they'll let you do whatever you want. <laughs> you could burn down the church. Just don't change the worship service. I've often said that Janelle has one of the hardest jobs in the church worker catalog because when it comes to worship and music, everyone is a professional and a critic. Because worship is something that comes from the heart and we want to do it well. We want it to, to show the Lord the way that He has come to us. We want it to show our own heart's desire to be with Him, to create such beautiful things that, that are worthy of our God. And sometimes we err in how we talk about it or the way we practice it, where, where some do what uh, one of the first weeks Marcus was here, he made a statement that has forever stuck with me where he said people often confuse formal for reverence. 
So we'll do the utmost formal thing we can, thinking that that is just reverence. Or the complete opposite, where people dare to, uh, to just walk in and let it be a free show. I myself, in the history of my own faith journey, I came into the church in a very hip, contemporary way. Is hip a word still? And then moved over to a very absolute traditional way, and and I'm still evolving. And maybe it's because when we consider worship, the first things we think of are not actually the things we should be thinking about. And it seems that the early church knew this. The early church got this pretty clearly. Even where we see... uh, In Romans, as Paul is talking about it, the description that he has for worship is not what we would normally describe as worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's not the hymnal. It's not a piano. We can all agree on that. But it's in the living sacrifice. A spiritual worship that actually opens up to not just about the spirit, but a spiritual worship that comes into the whole of the body. You think when he would mention spiritual worship, he would talk about something that is transcendent to where our minds can float up above the clouds and be with God in the great sanctuary. For us to continuously have our minds up there while our bodies just slowly move about this world. But it's actually in the presentation of our whole self. Our bodies, our spirit, our minds, our hearts, our hands and our feet that we offer up as our spiritual worship. So we do not be conformed to this world, but rather we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, by knowing what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect, by living our lives with the gifts that we have. But more often than not, we would actually prefer to be like the woman at the well. Most of you know this story very well about the woman at the well where she is the only one there when Jesus comes out. The only one to maybe offer him up water. And they get into a conversation, and eventually through the conversation we learn that this woman is either a serial marriager or adulterer. Jesus knows this. She knows this. And upon uh, coming across someone who seems to be a great and grand teacher. She certainly doesn't want to talk about that aspect of her life. She doesn't want to talk about the things that influence who she is as a person. What is the subject matter that she would prefer to talk about? Worship. She'd rather talk about worship. Maybe the conversation about the husbands is a little too close to home. 
Maybe the idea of her worship leading past a set of four walls is a little bit too much for her. I don't really know. But upon meeting a great teacher, a rabbi, she wants to discuss the systematics of theology. Because sometimes those kind of distractions keep us from really getting to what is the heart of the issue. So we would prefer to be like the woman at the well. Maybe if I build up my worship life in such a way to where I can memorize and keep things in that structure, that that will overcome and overcompensate my worship out there. Maybe if I become an expert on what it means to come into a church and what is true worship in there, I'll never have to deal with the rest of my life. But Paul says that our bodies, the renewing of our hearts and our minds, is our spiritual worship. See, Jesus says that that you can uh, worship there on that mountain if you want, but there will come a time and a day when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. And the spiritual worship, the worship that is full of spirit, is a life as a living sacrifice. A life that comes through the very living sacrifice who came for us. One who offered up his life. One who walked and talked and used what he was and who he was to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. Now what I am saying is not that what we do here matters, because it matters a lot. And what I am saying is that, what I am not saying is that you should miss church as often as possible. I think that would be a grave mistake. Because certainly even Jesus took time to walk into the synagogues. Even Jesus went to the temple. Even Jesus found time to sit with his brothers and even sisters and worship. He found time to stop and dwell on the Word of God and to even sing the psalms that we sing today. And Paul and all the others warn us against the neglect of meeting together to those who neglect it to the point where they misunderstand the gifts of God and it leads even to sickness and death. But if we look at the life of Christ, we see a living sacrifice and what it means to give everything of yourself over so everybody else knows life. To be a living sacrifice. To live the way that our Lord has is to offer up the magnificence of Jesus Christ. What would it be to consider your life the masterpiece of a B minor Mass? The beauty 
that others have written into pages to express the works of God, to embody that and show it to others. What would it be if we here fully grasped the transformation that comes to us in the gospel and walked from this place as living sacrifices? What would it be like if we put the energy that we spend into things that don't matter into the worship as a living sacrifice. How different would this world be? How different would this neighborhood and this city be to have us go out and to be the living sacrifice as Christ is for us? For by the grace given to me, says Paul, I say to everyone among you how to worship as a living sacrifice. Do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For we all are one body in Christ, each of us with our own skills and our own blessings and own gifts. All the members do not have the same function, but are yet equally important to the body. So that each of those having their own gifts, given to them by grace, let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, do so. Prophesy in proportion to our faith. If your gift is service, serving one another, serving the world that the Lord has given us. Do so with a joyful heart. The one who teaches, may his teaching be a living sacrifice to the Lord. To the one who exhorts in his exhortation, and the one who contributes, do so in generosity and with joy. And to the one who leads, leads forth with zeal in your heart for the gospel. And the one who does acts of mercy, to you. Do not mourn your mercy. But rather do it with a joyful heart. Do not hand over your life as one who mourns for your life. But do so with one who has the hope of Christ. Because we are living sacrifices. We are ones who have been taken from death to be alive. Our Lord has taken everything that He has found and brought it to love and living. And the way that transpires in our life and conforms and renews us leads us into a life as living sacrifices. Ones who are full of the joy of the Gospel and ones who hand over everything we have in order to worship and proclaim our God. In Philippians 3, Paul says that we do not count everything we have lost as something to mourn over, but rather we look at it with joy because all of that is rubbish in comparison to what we have found in Jesus. That everything we have been given in Him is that thing that is going to hold us over, that thing that changes and renews our mind. And if everything that keeps us from Him is thrown out as rubbish, we will know we will know the love of Christ. Be transformed 
and be living sacrifices for our Lord. The symphonies that are our life, the B minor's mass, sometimes dwells a little bit more in the confession part than the absolution. And sometimes we're in the time of prayer and it seems to go on for a long time. But wherever we are at, living our lives with these gifts and these skills, there is our worship as living sacrifices. Amen? Amen.